Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to a new season of Better Words. I'm so excited. It's our first episode for 2021. I know. And obviously you will have seen this because you're listening on your podcast app, but we have a brand new look as well. I feel like it's just such a glow up and oh, it's just so, it's so, I can't stop looking at our artwork and our branding. (laughs) It's so exciting. I just, I love it. And I love that there are such simple things that we didn't think about when we were you know babies starting this podcast three or four years ago whenever it bloody was um because this one actually has a book on it and it has our names on it I know we didn't have any of that before so we hope you enjoy it and honestly like I could not be more in love with the colors because actually fun fact the colors are based on Alice Oseman's book Loveless and I think also the cover for Nick and Charlie because we were sort of explaining to our lovely designer who um, is tagged in if you go back um, to our Instagram and you want to find it like um, Re is tagged in the like our announcement picture sort of thing yeah yeah Um, and when we were talking to her, we were like, oh, we love the cover of like this book and this book. And um, yeah, and we like purple and yellow and all these different (laughs) things. I think we were a bit, we were in that space, I think, but um, we're very, very excited and it just looks so cool. Yeah, it suits our personality. And, you know, she went back and listened to some episodes and like looked through our feeds and we were like, we want to be like, colorful and fun and yeah so we hope that that vibe comes across um we hope that that indeed reflects how we are in the episodes and we hope that you love it as much as we do I keep thinking I keep joking that like or in my head I've literally made this joke in my head and realized I've not said it to you Caitlin um but I feel like she's like Paolo and she's just given us this huge makeover and we've gone (laughs) from we've gone we've gone through the princess diaries Transition from the frizzy hair and glasses to contacts. It's accurately, <laughs> it's accurately us. We both have frizzy hair. We both wear glasses, albeit yeah. not all the time. Um, but yes, us in the morning is basically <laughs> Anne Hathaway at the start of that movie. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, it definitely feels like we have glowed up. And um, what's he say? What's that joke he does like about the moose? And Oh, yeah, that's in the second movie. What is it? It's like, she's like, I look like a moose. And he's like, yeah, but a sexy moose. Make all the boy moose go, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're making all the boy moose go, huh, mm-hmm. now. Okay. Yeah, we're so clearly, clearly. So yeah. welcome to season six. Um, we know that this is the content that you came for, not. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> We are going to continue our like recommendations one episode, Little Book Club the next. Um, so we're going to start with recommendations. Caitlin, take it away. Thank you. 
my first recommendation on our first episode of the podcast for 2021 is It's Been a Pleasure, Noni Blake by Claire Christian. I'm sure that most of our listeners have seen this book on Instagram because it's so fun and it's such a bright pink fun cover. It's such a cool cover. And this book really deserves all the love that it has been getting. So the basic plot of It's Been a Pleasure, Noni Blake, is that Noni Blake is got out of a really long relationship, like nine or ten years or something, um, about a year before the book starts. And she kind of realises that even though she, like, went through the breakup and, like, the relationship kind of, you know, went down a bit and was, like, ending and it wasn't, you know, a, a very messy ending or anything like that, that she hasn't really moved beyond like the breakup phase that she's just been kind of going day by day in her routine, like stuck sort of a bit. And so she decides to just do a few things for herself and it kind of leads her on this journey of like self-discovery and just doing whatever the hell you want, anything that will give you pleasure, whether it's like buying a new skirt, getting a haircut, eating a piece of cake um but so it leads her and she goes overseas um and has like an another sort of little gap year trip even though she's in her late 30s <laughs> um and decides to get a tattoo and she meets a very handsome tattoo artist and it's just so fun and even when you think that this book will just be about someone who, you know, sleeps with whoever she wants, gets tattooed, travels here, does a photo shoot to make herself feel pretty, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it, like, gets, I don't know, like, it changes her whole life and turns her whole life upside down in such, like, a really nice way. And it's so funny because, like, reading it, and I think I had seen a few other people say on Instagram that, it actually felt really hopeful and inspiring, not just like funny and joyful or whatever. And then I finished the book and I was like, I want to do things for myself. I was like, should I get a haircut? <laughs> what should I do? Do not get emotional haircuts, Caitlin. <laughs> it never works well. <laughs> I know. And I'm not very inventive anyway. So every few years when I'm like, I should get a haircut and change my life. All I do is just cut it shoulder length. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never done anything more dramatic than that and I'm not going to. <laughs> but yeah, it was I think if anyone is like looking at reading It's Been a Pleasure with Only Blake and thinking, oh what a fun book and like thinking that everyone else is saying that they found it like actually really hopeful and a bit inspiring is like what bullshit. That's what I thought. And then I was like, Oh, this is like so hopeful. <laughs> So what, what are you going to do for yourself then now, apart from get a not dramatic, dramatic haircut? Well, I bought the, um, there's a Lego set that of Central Perk from Friends. Of course there I, is. That's I just, so cool. I got it on the Instagram ad and bought it within five minutes of seeing that ad. I was like, hell yeah. Don't tell Instagram that. Yeah, Don't tell Instagram that their ad works. <laughs> um, that's really nice. I really like that. That's quite, that'll be quite like a mindful exercise. I'm too. actually really looking forward to put it together. I was never really a Lego kid, 
I've never had a Lego, like a set. Like I had Legos and I build like towers or fences or whatever because I couldn't build anything else. Um, but I've never had like a set like to build something specific. Yeah. So it's actually yeah. going to be weird that I'm going to have to actually follow the instructions. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be really fun. Actually, on that note, I've also just started an embroidery kit as well. Um, because again, I was Look at like, us with our new hobbies. I know. Oh my gosh. You can tell we're in our mid twenties. Um, so <laughs> no, but like the classic lockdown thing, I, I actually was like, I can't concentrate on reading. Um, I'm finding it really hard to pay attention to anything that's long gone as I'll explain in a minute, but Um, a friend did say try to do something like with your hands because like it's no wonder that you can't concentrate on TV or um, books because of just the state that we're in over here Mm -hmm. and she was like try and do like jigsaws which I have had a couple of jigsaws I'm going to go back to them as well but she was like doing something with your hands might be the way around it so like the Lego will be really that'll be really really good I love that that's so cool I can't wait to see what it looks like yeah me too I'm gonna have to find somewhere to like display it forever. hopefully this doesn't start a new addiction for you because you don't have space to... yeah I'm not that concerned about becoming really addicted to Lego I don't know tell me that when you bought some sort of Harry Potter related Lego set yeah I don't know I never have before the friends no, one, one that really hooked me but yeah anyway yeah so yeah, yeah. anyway what have you been reading Michelle well actually um I know that, you know, we're a book podcast and now we have a book specifically on our logo. I should have stuck to a book recommendation to kick us off. But oh, but you don't have a book recommendation this week. No, I've got a TV recommendation because we are doing an Instagram live wrap up of our favorite stuff at the end of the month, as per usual. Um, and on Friday, usually, listeners, on if Friday. you're listening before Friday, the 26th of February, come over to Better Words Pod and tune in. And even if you're not. IGTV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we usually try to we do movie and TV, so occasionally we will share a TV recommendation. But the reason that I need to share this recommendation, even though it's not a book, is because it's like some of the best storytelling I've ever seen. So that's how I'm spinning it. Okay, okay. so I am literally obsessed. I cannot stop thinking about line of duty. Like Oh my God, this TV show has taken over my entire, entire life. And Jax too. It's all we talk about. We finished season three on Friday night and went to bed saying to each other, what the F did we just watch? What was that? And then we'd just be like, oh my God, but that bit, like, uh, what? Like, seriously. I know you're obsessed. And you have mentioned this show to me just by saying, like, oh, my God, Jack and I are watching, uh, you know, can't stop thinking about it, whatever. Yeah. Line of Duty. But I have never heard of this show before. Okay, so I I had heard of it. I had only heard of it. I think um, there was a podcast I was listening to that was, like, true crime related, and I was in the Facebook group, and they mentioned it in there. And it was on Netflix and I was always like, okay, that'll be one that I need to, like, it's on my list of things to watch out for. British crime drama, you know, that that's a, that's a subgenre of TV that I, that I enjoy. Um, But then over here, literally everyone is obsessed with Line of Duty. And I had so many people say 
Line of Duty is the best TV I've ever watched. And I was like, mm, skeptical. Okay, I've watched a lot of TV, but all right. Um, That'd be pretty but, good to break into the top tier. Honest to God, best TV show I've ever watched. Like, I have never, ever, ever in my life had such a physical reaction to anything on TV. Like, I am so tense throughout it. I feel physically ill at points. And I literally like, I feel like I've physically had like a workout because my muscles are so tense from how much, like I just right now I'm having like a visceral reaction to even talking about it. And it's just so good. But like, seriously, the storytelling, the way that they hook you in, get you hooked on the characters. And then the way that they put cliffhangers at key points and just keep twisting the story you literally never know what is going to happen and it's just mind-blowingly good and like I said there are there have been points like so Jack has been working a lot the last few weeks and he hasn't been at home for weekends he's been working um so we haven't been able to watch more than one or two episodes in an evening yeah and it is not made to like just my body cannot handle not watching that many episodes of it because I'm like I need to know and I, there would be points through the t- throughout the day when I was working thinking like god I can't wait for Jack to get home because I really want to watch more Line of Duty <laughs> like it's was the most it, amazing like was seen. it made for streaming services like because I know that sometimes no it's BBC right okay so it would have so, aired like one a week yeah and I do not know how I'm going to cope when season six comes out in March and it will be week to week. But it is funny because those shows that are being produced now, like for Netflix or, you know, as an example, like that everyone just, they know that you'll watch all of it in a row kind of thing. So like sometimes you watch and like the episode will end and an episode will start and it's the same shot and you're like, yeah, yeah. they know I'm not moving. No, no, this is written for like the cliffhangers are, it is written to keep you on the edge of your seat, make you feel so physically uncomfortable about what's happening that you have to keep watching. But then in classic, amazing storytelling style, they're not starting with that scene. They're not starting with that. They're making you wait. Like it's just, it's so brilliant. And in all of this, I realize I've not actually told you what the show is about. So um British crime drama obviously but it's actually set on the anti-corruption investigations so it's the cops investigating the cops oh cool yeah and it's just so intense because there'll be people undercover in different organizations who are cops investigating cops and there's like okay we're we're into season five right now and some stuff from season one is finally coming like stuff that's been building up this whole time is really starting to yeah so stuff that's coming back like someone who went missing in season one is finally coming back and you're like oh my god I'm seeing it all but it's all like the corruption goes so high and it's like cops bent cops working with like organized crime gangs and all this sort of stuff like it's just so intense and you don't know who to trust and season five is making me doubt everything that I thought that I knew but I've got to say like a lot of people said to me um season three is their favorite it's the best one and 
that like the finale of season three is literally some of the best things I've ever watched on TV. Like Jack and I were screaming at the TV. <laughs> I can picture and that. <laughs> I just, it's, oh my God, if anyone's listening and has watched Line of Duty, I need to talk to you about it. I think I'm going to need therapy after watching it. Please tell me you've watched it and let's chat about it because it's my whole life now and I can't stop thinking about it. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> But genuinely, not in like an a not in like oh my god, it's like it's Bridgerton, and I'm obsessed with it. But like it is from a storytelling perspective, some of the best written TV I've ever seen. Like just incredible. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, like what a good review, <laughs> really. I actually, I actually think you and Mon would enjoy it because I just find it hard to believe that anyone could watch this and not be sucked into yeah. what the hell is happening. My, by the end of years, it was like slow to start episode one. And I hate it when people say like, oh, you've just got to give it time. And like six episodes later, you'll be into it. No, by the end of episode, we were a bit like, okay, interesting. Yeah. End of episode one, we literally ended it like, <gasps> oh my God, what? So yeah. And then it just continues like that. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's what you want. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Edge of your seat drama. So, yeah. <laughs> That's why it had to be my first recommendation because it's literally taken over my entire life at the moment. <laughs> I've never had that sort of like literally like heart pounding, feeling anx- so physically anxious and not just once but like multiple times throughout a season and I yeah. just love the character so much and I just, uh, yeah, it's. Well, as as usual, we have quite different recommendations. So we do, and I do, I do feel, I do feel sad that I sort of bought the tone down. Like, well, I haven't bought the tone down with it because it, it's an incredibly thrilling recommendation. But your recommendation is a lot more in line with our guest today. <laughs> so I probably should have made it. But also, full disclosure for everyone because I've been so obsessed with Line of Duty, um, everything that I've been reading has been in preparation for the podcast. So I've been reading Sister Surprise by Abigail Mann, which we're about to talk about in this interview. So it just sort of, I was like, I actually don't have a book recommendation that doesn't doesn't relate to what we're talking about. Um, But also, side note, we didn't get to this in the interview we didn't talk about this but if you are a fan of Fleabag um, and the hot priest in Fleabag there is a character in Abigail's book Sister Surprise that in in my head immediately I was like oh hot priest like I think his name's Ross but in my head I just keep calling him hot priest (laughs) hot priest hot priest (laughs) even though also I think he's a vicar and not a priest but anyway point remains I'm just like hot priest hot priest so yeah any chance for a hot priest maybe we should do a hot priest gif on the uh on the Instagram yes always any excuse for that any any excuse for a flea bag gif totally (laughs) anyway yeah so I I know that I sort of bucked the trend there but um yeah I I am loving a lot of books at the moment but they're all for upcoming guests so exciting (laughs) all very exciting but I suppose we've got to get into our first one yeah we hope you enjoy it as much as we did our guest this week describes herself as surviving on a diet of 
three shot coffee, bourbon biscuits and vegetarian sausage rolls, which I can only assume are from Greg's. She lives in London, but was born and brought up in Norfolk. I hope I'm saying that right. Actually, there's probably a better British pronunciation of that. Uh, there is. I will go into a whole <laughs> side note of Norfolk pronunciations, if you like. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm going to leave that in because that was that was good. But um, basically, you attribute that humour that is in all of your books to coming from that area. Um, so you don't want to manuscript... say it, do you? I don't want to say. It. <laughs> do you know what? I don't even want to tell you now because I just find this very funny. <laughs> Well, is it? Is um, it like in Norfolk? Yeah, you hit it, Caitlin. Absolutely. Yeah. Norfolk. It sounds rude, but we go with it. <laughs> the manuscript, which became your debut novel, was runner-up in the inaugural Comedy Women in Print Award in 2019. And thanks to the pandemic, um, you've celebrated multiple different publication dates, which we're going to talk about. But that is for The Lonely Fajita, which has just come out in paperback in the UK, will soon come out in Australia. And pretty soon you're also going to celebrate the publication of your second novel, Sister Surprise. I don't know why I'm now telling this to you like you don't know, but welcome to the podcast, Abigail Mann. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. It's a nice way to, to spend uh, to spend some time chatting with you too. You were, that's the most chaotic start. I think that happy. might be both our like, best and worst introduction that you've ever read, Michelle. <laughs> I just want to leave it in though, because yeah, no, we're great. talking, I mean, I think it actually, it fits the tone of the novels and the stuff that happens in the novels. Yeah, so, this is a hundred percent on brand for me. So you absolutely nailed it. And all of my <laughs> protagonists would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, as I, as I mentioned before, you have had a lot of ups and downs with the old pandemic, um, or the panny D as some people are referring to it in England, which I love. <laughs> um, so we, we try not to let COVID dominate our conversations, but more and more we have had to talk about it with authors because it has had such an effect on their writing, either their creation or their publication. Um, and usually we would say, let's come and, and talk about your brand new novel, Abigail, but you basically have two brand new novels. So in this interview, we're going to chat a little bit about The Lonely Fajita. And as we said, that's um, going to be coming out in Australia in April, I think. But Caitlin's going to check the dates. I will double check, but I think April. (laughs) Um, And then we're also going to talk a little bit about Sister Surprise, as well as just your general journey to publication and comedy writing and all that that sort of fun stuff. Sounds great. Yep. Let's do it. Great. But we do both want to say that we love the book as well. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's really sweet. That's really kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's start with your first book, The Lonely Fajita. So tell us a bit about the book and where the idea for that story came from. The Lonely Fajita is the story of um, Alyssa Evans um, and she is um, living in London with a very mediocre boyfriend um, who is just trundling. She's basically just trundling and stumbling through um, her early 20s. Um, and when she's kind of on the point of verging on homelessness, she has to sort of find a way to continue living in London, but also being able to afford to do that. Um, and so this scheme called Eldercare 
sort of swoops in and it's her last resort when it matches her with a sort of geriatric housemate who she then moves in with as a sort of live-in companion um and so the lonely fajita the story is about sort of her and annie who is her 83 year old housemate um, and how they sort of teach each other how to live a more sort of fulfilling life within a community that they didn't have before I absolutely love it. It's so good. I mean, it's such a good concept, but like every like three pages or something, I just kept thinking to myself, I don't know if I'd do this. (laughs) I don't know if I could do it. Having seen the photo on your Instagram of somewhere that inspired it, I was like, I would 100% do this in a heartbeat. Like, yes, get me to Hampstead. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's definitely a sort of emerging of like a realistic situation but then I mean there's a there's a strong element of like fantasy I suppose that comes in here although um you say about sort of where the idea came from and when I've been putting stuff together for sort of promotion for the book um I have been interviewing people who have done um this home sharing companionship scheme in real life because it is a scheme that exists and I just made a sort of a fictional version of it um, but there is somebody who lives in a beautiful house, like in, in Richmond in, in London, um, who's a piano teacher and she has a, a housemate who is in her 80s. So, you know, it's there are examples where it's 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 very similar to the book. But what the idea first came across, came to me when I was looking for sort of house sharing and room sharing options um, by just looking at Gumtree as like a last resort, because with the budget I had similar to Alyssa in the book all the flags just when you look at a map and you put in your budget all of the options just disappeared and I was just like oh this one looks cheap and it was like a car park um <laughs> like oh yeah you can pay 200 pounds a month for a car parking space I'm like okay so there was a listing on Gumtree which was for uh, someone wanted a companion for their gran because she lived in this flat that like I kid you not overlooked St Paul's Cathedral like it could not have been a cooler location um you had the River Thames and St Paul's there and they wanted somebody who had like musical talent so that ruled me out instantly um to just live with their with their grandma and just pay about 50 pounds a week to just cover their food um I was like this is seriously too good to be true so then that sort of snowballed and I sort of came up with this um this concept of what someone might do if they were needing to stay in London still trying to make that whole sort of London lifestyle work for them but at the same time doesn't really have any money to pay for it so that's that's where it came from I love that so much and Caitlin I know you said that you wouldn't do it but I just realized after I said that I would that my dad is elderly so I basically did for most of my like early twenties, it's different when it's your dad. Yeah, like, because so... I can yell at him and be like, "You are so frustrating." I couldn't do that if it was a random person. If it was a stranger, <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And if a stranger was as stubborn as my dad, I would definitely be out of there. But Annie is not like that. Annie is lovely, and actually, I do just want to talk about Annie for a minute in the book because. I absolutely adored her and I adored her even more because she is from Sheffield, which is just up the road from where I live in Chesterfield. And just the things that she would say, I had the accent in my head immediately. And 
I just loved her so much. But why did you make her from Sheffield? So I lived in Sheffield for a couple of years. And the kind of older person that I wanted to include in the book, I wanted her to be very down to earth and unpretentious and and a bit like a, um, a fish out of water in London in the sense that you think, oh, she's lived in London for most of her adult life and yet she still has this very heavy Sheffield accent. She still very much identifies as like a Yorkshire woman, um, unfussy. She has she wears a lot of like uh, gold signet rings and, and chains and things. Um, and that was a sort of connection between her and Alyssa. So they're both in this sort of very like beautiful surroundings in this very leafy part of North London. And yet they both can't quite figure out why the other one would want to be there. And so that was a kind of connection between them because London is a very, I mean, like all major cities like across the world are so densely populated, but you think there's so many things that you could do there and hobbies you could take up and people you can meet, but actually more often than not, are the most isolating places to live. Um, And I saw that gap widening um, when I first moved to London anyway, of I only ever seemed to be engaging or speaking with people who were of the same age to me, like in the internships that I was doing and my housemates I was living with and who we would see in cafes and bars and and stuff. And I sort of noticed more, if you are an older person living in a very busy city, uh, and everyone at the bus stop and in the queue post office are just on their phones. Like I can imagine that that divide just feels even wider if you are an older person who can't, you know, go on meet up and find things to do, or you wouldn't think to think to do that. So I just thought, right, well, how do you force someone to sort of engage with the wider community and just you? put them in a house together and see what happens and so that's what I did with Alyssa and Annie. Yeah and it's it's sort of I have been sort of saying to people that if they enjoy The Switch by Beth O'Leary that it's probably you know another nice it's it's different absolutely um, but in terms of the this idea of um, an older woman getting to experience new bits of life and stuff. I think it's really lovely the way that you bring that into the book as well. And that's obviously something that happens in the switch where she goes from a little village to London. Yeah, but they yeah. both, I love that they both give each other this new lease of life. And I just really, I really, really love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned that you were doing internships as well. It's something that Alyssa does in the book as well. Some, some pretty, you know, mediocre internships and stuff so is is that sort of experience of Alyssa based on on your experience too yes um some parts I have exaggerated uh some parts I have um done the opposite because my editor and my agent when I was recalling some uh, incidents that had happened at some of these internships I was doing they were like yeah if you include that in a book people won't believe it happened and <laughs> so I had to actually minimize a lot but I mean are you even... able to tell us one of the stories sure I don't care and <laughs> um uh yeah there was it's, it's interesting I find the whole tech startup world just fascinating because usually isn't it like it's so interesting the people who run them are generally quite young um Mm. and the one one of them that I was working at it was a bit of a badge of honor if you went to sort of Stanford University in in the states 
um, which is basically like a breeding ground for, it's a Petri dish for entrepreneurs. Um, and you drop out of Stanford, it is worth more than if you finish your degree, because if you drop out, it means that someone is, is invested in your idea or your app and you're able to then leave. So you'll see it on like in people's Twitter bios and things, they'll be like Stanford dropout. And it's actually that, that is their actually sort better of success. because they oh have an idea before they've even finished exactly that's what happened with elizabeth holmes isn't it from um oh my gosh what's that app she was the blood the blood it's the blood thing where she was like we can test a drop of blood and actually she was scamming everyone i think she dropped out of stanford too i didn't know that that's so interesting yeah yeah her name's elizabeth holmes listen to there's an episode of a podcast called just the gist caitlin you need to listen to it um I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, yeah, she basically, there's, there's obviously there are more academic podcasts as well, but that is also fun and funny. And I think that fits with what we're, what we're talking what about we're today. About. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, she was, she basically got a whole heap of like really big name investors, like huge people. Um, and it turned out to all be a scam. Dun, dun, dun. I think it's still going through court in America, actually. Um, yeah, it's very interesting, but she like wore like black polo, like turtlenecks, like Steve Jobs and like, oh, her so she was like, I'm, she was I'm, like, I'm so Holmes. serious. Trust me. I'm Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, but that's actually not what her voice <laughs> <is going. laughs> That is completely fascinating. And that is so the kind of thing. And yeah, in fact, I had, I had one boss at one of these internships. Oh, it's so cringy to even think about it. Um, but he... It, it was it was long story short it was it was a tech it was an app uh startup he was kind of middle-aged but he um was obsessed with wolf of wall street and like bearing in mind how like small scale this was um every time he made a deal and i do that with air quotes because it was like women were not talking about huge figures here and he'd come downstairs from his little glass office like beating his chest doing the thing from wolf of wall street and then he was like trying to encourage everyone to do it and i just oh when i think about it now i just want to die but um (laughs) that was just like one example and like another thing that, that that he would do is um there's there's a character there's a character which is Alyssa's boss in in the book Mitchell his his facial expressions don't often match like the tone of voice that he's using and one mm-hmm. of my bosses exactly did that so he would he would come downstairs and shout at someone for something they had done wrong but then he would just switch and he'd be smiling at them and would just change change his tone and so a second before he'd be he'd be yelling at them and then he'd be going Oh, have you had a nice haircut? That's that's oh really God. nice. Do you think we yeah. should just trim it up a little bit? Just take a little bit off the sides. And he'd speak like that. And but 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 previously he had been like seconds before he had been shouting. And it was just the wildest place to work because I went that's in on so an internship weird. thinking I was going to get training, and I didn't. I was doing. I was basically doing a job, but I just wasn't getting paid for it. There was like other people in that place. Um, and in other places that I did internships at, who it was the same story, and everyone's just kind of trying to make it work. You know, you're you're going to get a reference off of this person, so you you put up with a huge amount of like 
workplace sexism you know I that one of them I worked at I didn't get called my own name I got got called baby the entire time I was working there and this isn't long ago this is this is six years ago so you know it's not not outside the realms possibility you know these things are still happening nowadays and I think we think that we've moved beyond them a lot but actually especially in the startup world when who are you going to complain to there's no HR department yeah. The person you're complaining to is the person who is calling you baby. Is the person who's you know yelling at yelling at someone just because uh, they haven't run a piece of code properly. So that whole world. Yeah, it's very much like that. I think I read this really good book last year called Uncanny Valley by Anna Weiner, and she was like, I don't actually know if it says anywhere in the book where she was working, but she worked at some like really big companies in Silicon Valley and it's all about how like she was always like the only woman in the room and like all of these terrible like parties and events and business meetings and everything but it was so interesting and you're right I think this uh in big companies maybe it's different but in sort of small startups there are for sure delusions of grandeur yeah and I find that very very funny like when with the when you know when my one of my old bosses used to do the wolf wall street thing and i was just like yeah it's like where do you think you are like what do you do like come on now um you know my desk (laughs) is made out of mdf let's not kid ourselves here um so i find that really funny and and that's why i wanted like the contrast of sort of Alyssa's working in an environment like that but then when she goes back to where she's living with Annie it's in like it's a huge contrast of of London of these sort of very grubby concrete sort of uh silicon roundabout areas with sort of leafy Hampstead and the, the quite posh people who live there so I like bringing contrasts really close together um and seeing sort of what the what the effect of of that is in, in a narrative so that that is also sort of com, com, comes into that but yeah you know, I don't I don't miss those workspaces but I do kind of miss the drama <laughs> yeah it's nothing if not entertaining I think back yeah. now on like being a journalist and think why did I not keep um, a journal of all the crazy stuff that I did because I could have one of those like tell-all memoirs by now if I just kept a diary of everything I did like Caitlin yeah. you heard some the of the diary story. Like, of a regional journal like a small town <laughs> journal it'd be so funny it'd be like it would be like um you know like this is going to hurt or like not that I'm saying that I'm anywhere near as good a writer as Adam Kay but like some of the stuff that I had to do was absolutely nuts and it would just be like <laughs> oh, the crazy stories it's like one day you know you're in court and then you're like in a field with cattle and then the next day you're like someone's died and so you're like at their house or something like it's just and then after that job you're probably doing some like fun little fundraiser or something like it's the juxtaposition yeah like after that you're on your way to like the high school graduation to like yeah (laughs) and even also just one day in court can like whoa like the stuff that I heard in court was just crazy like some of the best stories come out of just sitting in court and you're just like this is people's lives and that is really sad but also what have I just listened to you like, have so much material but see I can't remember much of it now <laughs> like this is the thing I'm like why did I not write it down at the time I think if I went back through the hundreds of stories that I have saved on a hard you would drive documentary. it would yeah but like 
I should have written down my reactions and stuff at the time, I think. So yeah, it was it was absolutely nuts. Absolutely crazy. And speaking of all of these stories, let's ask you about your second novel, which we're also celebrating and chatting about today. So your second novel, The Sister Surprise, will be available in E in March and then in paperback in June in the UK, I believe. So tell us about The Sister Surprise. So The Sister Surprise um, is about a young woman called... uh, Ava. I got my characters mixed up there. Because <laughs> um, we're talking about the Lonely Peter so much and then also Sister Surprise. And I'm also writing my just started my third one. So sometimes details sort of just drift. They're like the swaying thing. across the three yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so no, it's the story of Ava. And speaking of sort of a journalist, she she does she works for a sort of like an online magazine sort of very on-trend stories listicles that sort of thing um I'm sure we all know of those websites and what they might be called I can think of a few yes yes I did have that in my mind when I was reading it and I must say it opened with something very funny and I was like yes this is the sort of thing that I might (laughs) not quite to that extent but I was like yes this this is bringing back a lot of memories I loved I loved that (laughs) yeah she works for she works for a website called snoofer and as part of of her they have to pitch stories um in a sort of a, a big room a lot and part of the, her job is that she's offered an opportunity to actually sort of host some online video content and she thinks she's been trying at this job for a really long time she wants to go for it um but it's all to do with home dna testing kits and so she she, she does one of them and she's going to get her results as part of a live stream and she lives with her mum she has never really known who her dad was um and as you go through the story, you realize that this has kind of impacted her, perhaps more so than she cares to admit to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't a spoiler because, I mean, the book is called The Sister Surprise. Um, <laughs> so she is surprised with um, a, a half-sister uh, during the live stream that she didn't know she had. Um, and she reacts to that in quite an um, extreme way. Uh, that's I uh, no spoilers live <laughs> on a live stream and basically you imagine sort of like what your worst nightmare would be for something that would happen on a live stream and uh, happens to her and so she decides to go up to very remote part of the Scottish Highlands because she knows that by location that is where this half sister is going to be um but it's also part of her job. So she's been convinced to go along to sort of follow the story, so to speak. But personally, she's wanting to find out about the sort of the, the paternal side of her family, which is in this this very, very small, small village uh, in rural Scotland. And so, yeah, that's the that's the sister's prize. And obviously there are like lots of japes along the way. But then it was also the whole thing with sort of family identity and and, and who you are and um just taking it taking stock when you're sort of in your in your late 20s about where you are in your life and where you want to be I think is something that crops up around sort of 27 28 I've seen it in a lot of my friends where people are like hmm okay let's just take stock here and and, and see what I want to do so that's something that sort of I I explore in, in that book as well. Well, there's a new book that's um just come out called The Panic Years. And I think that's from mm. that like late twenties, like 
right now, me, um, to like 40 and it's, she describes it as the panic years of like when you're like, oh my gosh, I need to like work out what I'm doing with my life. What am That's I doing? That's a lot here? of panic years. I don't like the sound of that. I know. I'm like, um, my, whole life, That's a long time. my whole life has been panic years. Like I don't need any more panic years. Jesus. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's definitely, it's that, that time. And I think especially for women, if you are maybe considering having a family, it becomes more of a like, oh yeah, I'll do that one day to like, oh, actually, like, am I going to do that? When am I going to do that? Like, oh, actually it's a lot closer than like far off in the distant future. (laughs) And that, yeah, you start to sort of think. And then I guess if you're thinking about, you know, what your family situation might be, then you start reflecting on, yeah, other parts, especially if you grow up without knowing that side of your family. So I think it is such a rich area to explore, isn't it? And very, and and much more common than I thought. I mean, it's a very specific example of sort of finding a a half sibling as part of a a home DNA testing kit. But um, it's it's so common that that happens that um, I know in the states, at least when I was doing my research for this, in every state they they have a support group sort of system set up, and the the big sort of DNA testing companies ancestry 23 and me and, and and such because um sort of what i think it was like one in eight or nine they might have to fact check 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 this but it's 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 really common that people either find parents not who they thought or a sibling who is actually not their blood relative or a new sibling that they didn't even know existed and there are a whole network set up of, of, of people who are having to sort of deal with the fallout of that because it is so much more common than you think um I mean also helps find serial killers as well so yes. you might find out that your <laughs> might find out that your dad is actually the golden state killer um but that's I think that that's what I kind of wanted to ask you too is because like obviously we've seen a lot of talk um since especially the golden state killer case that like about it's been talked about in true crime and you sort of imagine it being one of those crime things but I love the way that you sort of took that um and put it in this like funny comedic contemporary relationship setting um I don't actually know where I was going with that question but was there (laughs) something that sparked the moment where you were like oh yeah this ancestry sort of thing is what I want to explore yeah I think I've always found um people's extended families and how they are linked up just really really interesting and if you were come from quite a, a if you had a very comfortable upbringing and you didn't really feel like you were missing out or I mean in in Ava's case she is an only child so she thinks her mum is is very much like I have done both roles I have been a, a mum and I have been a dad and we haven't needed him so why would you want to go and explore who that's what that side of your family but she takes it very personally as if it was like yeah. a an insult to her that Ava would want to go and find this, this out so basically every time she's brought it up as a child she's shut down or guilt trips and 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 that's you know quite quite common as well but there is still a question mark over it and I did I did a DNA home DNA test when I was researching, as did my brother. And we did joke and say to my mum, like, anything you want to tell us now? Um, <laughs> Before we get the results and we yeah. find out. <laughs> exactly. Um, and she uh, she was just like, 
I'm 99% sure that you're all good. Um, but when when the results come back, it was actually much more specific. And that's really where the sort of the germ of the story came from, because it's very specific in terms of geography of relatives that it links you up with. And you get like a, a whole world map. Um, we didn't really know much about beyond grandparents. We weren't really sure where family came from. And my brother is... I, I mean, I, I this is a podcast is not visual, are they? But I mean, I um, look like a pretty ordinary sort of white British person. Um, <laughs> you know, as does the rest of my family. So we were like, mm, yeah, we're not really sure. Yeah, there's, 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 we're not, we're not going to be too many surprises here. But I thought there might be something interesting sort of pop up when the DNA results came through. It was actually like. The, the world map, the bit that was coloured in about where our sort of our whole sort of heritage and our ancestry came from was minuscule. It was like you and your entire family are from Norfolk back to the 1500s, and we were like, <laughs> mm, okay. So yeah. it that's was what very I think will happen if I do one of those. But it almost makes me want to do one just to confirm that suspicion because, like, both sides of my family, it's just England. There's like a bit mm-hmm. of like island or whatever, but it's just England. And we like people in my family have traced it back like a bit. And I'm like, yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's just going to be your English, like 99% English. Yeah. But I still want to do yeah. it just to be sure. <laughs> yeah. And, but even like prior to 1500s, it was said we had about sort of a, a handful of percentage coming from uh, like the West coast of Norway and Denmark so it was like, oh, what? so the Vikings left, they landed in Norfolk, and then for the rest of the sort of hundreds and hundreds of years where they were like, no, here's good. Yeah. We'll stay, we'll stay yeah. right here and haven't moved since. Um, well, I when mean, it, when you live somewhere that's perfect, you don't need to go anywhere else, do right? you? That's right. what people from Norfolk would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, other people would say, this is why your county has a reputation for... Um, <laughs> interbreeding um but (laughs) (laughs) um but that's a much more positive spin on it I like that um but yeah well I know that's what someone from Yorkshire would say they'd be like well God's own country not leaving (laughs) why would you want to yeah Um, but yeah it does pop up with relatives and sometimes I get emails now and it all it says in the subject line is you have a new DNA match that's Ooh. it and so I mean I, I haven't been surprised yet it, it'll be like oh you have a, a sixth cousin who lives in Florida but it the same thing would happen it, it shows you the um this you click on them it gives you their location if they have granted permission for you to, to share that and you get this little line that links you up on your map to where they are up on and their map so I thought that I didn't know that that was a thing and I thought that was so interesting Ooh. So I thought, well, if Ava has a a, a, sister, a half-sister who is in a really remote part of Scotland and there is about 300 people in her village, the chances are that if you went there, you'd find them because of how remote it is. Um, so that then formed the sort of the side of the story when she then leaves London and goes and explores her family, that she goes there thinking, I don't want to just send her a message online to let her know that who I am I want to see who she is because you don't know what you're walking into you could be walking into a situation where there's a whole family if she's been had a a huge emotional fallout from this maybe 
pinging a message to them is not the best way. So she she, she wants to go there physically to, to to see who she might be instead. So that's that's where that's where the, that's the second yeah, surprise. That's the second surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the title works on so many levels, which I'm sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent! It's it's really fun. It's a really fun novel. Now. The Lonely Fajita was runner-up in the inaugural Comedy Women in Print Prize in 2019. So tell us, like, how did that come about? How did that, like, help and affect your writing? What was that like? So I, I, so I was teaching in Sheffield, which I mentioned um, a little earlier, uh, and the reason I was up there is because my partner was finishing his studies so mm-hmm. we were knew we were leaving um I had a teaching job there so I knew I it was a, basically I had a, a break period and I thought I want I knew I wanted to write a novel but I hadn't written to be honest in years I studied it at university and I did creative writing at university um but if anything it kind of switched me off uh I don't know yeah I, I think it, I think it was perhaps 50%, you know, you, I was 18 when I went to university and to be honest, quite pretentious. Um, and <laughs> weren't we all? <laughs> yeah. And you think, you think, you know, you think, you know, everything um, about sort of the way literature should be or the way writing should be. Um, <laughs> and I think I convinced myself that um, the things sort of, my creative writing tutors were sort of in- encouraging me to do they were trying to challenge their students fine um but at the same time my natural way of my written the natural stories that I lent towards were ones that were quite I suppose realistic to to the the people that I had around me um and the way that they spoke I, I really love writing dialogue so um the stuff I include is is, is quite I think quite down to earth and conversational and um, but also ultimately uplifting I like stories that leave me feeling happier about the world rather than more sort of de- depressed about the state of affairs I found that that kind of story when I was studying at university was was looked down on a bit to be honest um as not sort of gritty or or or, or challenging enough and that switched me off. So I ended up writing short stories that I didn't even like because they were really, really dark and just about sort of like the worst examples of humanity. Um, but that was what everyone else was doing. So I thought, hey, I want to get a good grade and I'm going to do it. Um, so it switched me off for a while. And then I started dipping my toe back into it when I was teaching because I was asking my students to write themselves. And I felt like a bit of a um bit of a fraud sort of getting them to sit down and write me short stories when I wasn't doing it myself um so I started joining in when I set them sort of like a 20 minute 30 minute writing task I would sit and do it too because it would it was helpful from a sort of a teaching perspective because it was all sort of part of the their learning experience I guess but but then when the timer went off I kind of felt resentful that they were in the room and I couldn't just carry on <laughs> um so I started doing it more at home, just 10 minutes a day. And then when I had this this this, this break after leaving Sheffield, I saw, I, I planned this novel and it was actually a historical novel and it was quite dark. So I was still kind of shaking off that little chip on the shoulder um, and replanned a story in a month. And it was the Lonely Fajita. Gave myself, I think, 
four or five months to do a draft because that's the time I had. So I thought, well, if I have a deadline, I'll know that I'll try and do it. And then I told everyone that I was doing it because the thought of sort of um, accountability being publicly shamed um, for not following through. But it was a tweet from Helen Lederer who set up the Comedy Women in Print prize that I saw. And I screenshotted it on my phone thinking, that sounds like the kind of thing that I'm writing. And I didn't know that there was like, you know, a prize for that sort of writing. Women's comedy is still seen as really niche, even though sort of most contemporary fiction, if it is seen as sort of comedic, is bought by women. Um, and yet if it's if it's written by them, it is seen as a, a niche market. So I used the entry deadline of the competition as the deadline to finish my manuscript um, and did and, and submitted it. Um, but I'll be honest, um, on the website, it did say you must have a finished manuscript before submitting to us. And um, I didn't. I had, I think, the last 10,000 words left to do. And then when I submitted it, I was like, ah well done you pat on the back um and then I had to submit the rest within two weeks I think so that was a furious couple of weeks finishing it editing it etc but it's I mean it was the the best thing I ever did because it just it gave me I think the confidence you don't really know who you are as a writer I think at that very early stage I didn't even know what genre I was writing in I was just writing what I felt natural to me and then to have sort of other judges and authors themselves read it and say no, this is this is funny. This is contemporary. Your characters are relatable. Then that's like a oh, okay. No, I okay. now I know what I'm doing. But you kind of sometimes need someone else to tell that to you because you're too close to it. So I came runner up in that. But just before that, with all of the, of the noise from the competition, I sort of found my agent as part of that process. I came runner up in the July, and then by September, I had my uh, my book deal with one more chapter in Harper Collins. So. That was um, a good decision when I left teaching to sort of (laughs) knuckle down and do what I said I was going to tell everyone I was going to do for years. Yeah, but you're right, the accountability and having other people there and sort of feeling like, well, I've said it now, I'd better do it. There's there's a strong motivating factor in that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do want to ask you about comedic writing. Like, do you ever just write something and think, is this even funny? Like, do you ever doubt yourself? How do you know when the balance is right? I, from, from a general perspective, I think when you are writing something that you're intending to be funny, I always imagine telling that story to somebody, a friend in a cafe or a pub. So say something awkward or embarrassing happened to you earlier that day, like well, the example from Lonely Fajita, sort of uh, Alyssa forgets that she has a smear test booked in. Um, yes. And you, if that happened to you and you were really late for it at the time, very stressful. But if you were relaying that to somebody in a pub sort of later on in the day, naturally you rephrase what happened in order for it to be like entertaining or funny for the friend that's listening to you. And we do it all the time without realizing it when we're chatting to friends and family. So that's like the first thing that I do. I think sort of it's the balance of, because that book is written in first person present tense of okay how is the character feeling currently but also as a narrative how can I phrase this in a way that is gonna be entertaining to someone else and then also on sort of like a focus level sometimes you read stuff back and it might be I call them jokes but they're not really jokes it's just a way of phrasing something that is funny usually like a funny comparison or something like that if sometimes it's to do with the rhythm of the sentence like if it just if the 
if the phrase that's meant to be the 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 payoff doesn't land in the right place sometimes it just is clunky or you stumble over saying it and it's like a stand-up comedian sort of saying their punchline but going um or uh halfway through because the the words you've lost it you yeah. know the, and you the get laugh like taken gone. out of it exactly so it's a it's a balance of that and sometimes it's just even switching a couple of words around and then it's like ba-bum, 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 and it just lands properly so that's that's sort of sometimes how you know and then other times usually the comments that I've had back from sort of my editor when I were looking at very early drafts is um maybe the humor is a bit too niche sort of it might reference like a a tv show from the 90s and she's just like I'm not sure many people have watched this so they might not get the reference that's usually the kind of comment that I have back or sometimes it's just a bit it's maybe it's just a bit harsh or it's a bit I, I do my my comedy is quite like um dark comedy um so sometimes she's just like this is more mean than it is funny. And so I, I, I'll, I'll change it. But that's usually sort of how, how you know. But sometimes you just don't. And it does take someone else to just... She's very, she's very kind. She just usually puts, I'm not sure I understand this. Rather than... <laughs> this isn't funny. Cut this. <laughs> funny. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Yeah, it is. I think dark, dark humor. And yeah, it is certainly some people just, yeah, you've got to get the balance, like absolutely spot on, don't you? And then I guess you've got to know your audience too, as well with that. Like, yeah, it it can be, it can be very, a very tricky fine line. I feel like that sometimes when I'm just having conversations with friends, I'm like, ooh, that might've been a bit too harsh. (laughs) Well, luckily I think you're like millennial you know professional women audience are probably a bit cynical so I think you're safe yeah I think you're I absolutely think you're safe (laughs) um so obviously we mentioned before that there's been lots of ups and downs with the uh, publication um you're among many authors whose book releases were changed because of COVID and like split up in different ways so how have you coped with that and did you still do sort of fun things for yourself to mark what is a massive achievement like you you have published a book soon to be two books like how did you still mark that in these very very weird times um I had like every other author at the moment. I had an on online launches, um, so I I really like Instagram. I I sort of that's at once in in the same breath. It is my sort of biggest distraction and yet my biggest sort of connection to sort of readers and other authors. So I had an Instagram live launch on my ebook publication date so that was the first one that came around and that was in may so we'd only been experiencing the pan ed for what three months at that point so it oh, i think i was like it's almost done it's almost done summer's yeah. coming we were so hopeful <laughs> we were so hopeful you can't talk caitlin you're in australia oh. <laughs> <laughs> um so the, the, they uh they pushed back the the, the paper, I knew the paperback was being pushed back at that, at that point and they were like it'll be January we're gonna do a tour we're gonna um sort of have I had a I had a, all these plans um to sort of meet people who were doing sort of intergenerational home shares to go to bookshops and things uh <laughs> and then it just all got shelved um <sighs> so yeah I did I did an Instagram launch party and it was really nice I mean the the doorbell kept going there was like bunches of flowers were getting um sort of delivered and I felt uh very sort of spoiled but at the same time it was um 
like I kind of got up I was in the, the house that I'm always in and then these things were sort of happening and it was just it was just very surreal I think um yeah didn't quite feel real yeah it didn't it outside sort and of. I definitely didn't feel like feel like that at the time especially for that first launch because I was really nervous and felt very anxious about you know this first book of mine now being available to other people who actually are not obliged to say that they like it and so I felt I, I that was my main feeling at the time was massive imposter syndrome like oh god someone's gonna come and then realize that they've delivered these flowers to the wrong person um I don't know what I'm gonna say like I, I, I felt like I was performing a role of an author rather than actually accepting that I was one. So that was a, that was odd. But then I made fajitas. I've eaten so many fajitas at these launches. I can't even tell you. <laughs> I had fajitas. I had fajitas for my audio launch. I had made fajitas on my uh, paperback launch, and then chatted with people on Instagram Live. Uh, did I've done some, you know. Facebook live stuff as well and that has been really nice because it's been people from all over the place in different countries I think if I had all those that people has been in the, the room, real bonus of these like exactly. online events isn't it yeah. yeah definitely um because I wouldn't have had all these people in a room if it was in London for, for instance so that has been really nice um having those connections with people that um, sort of outlives the the one sort of perhaps launch night in a room I do want one of those eventually but I'm, I'm, it's yeah. been really nice. It's been really nice. Yeah. It must feel weird though. Like, is there part of you that sort of won't quite believe that you have a book, soon to be two books published until you're able to actually walk into a bookstore? Imagine what it's going to be like when you can actually walk into, say, like Foils and Charing Cross and be like, this is my book on the shelf. Like you haven't had that moment yet. No, I haven't. And it will, when it happens, it will blow my tiny mind. Like I can't <laughs> wait. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I see people, pictures of people with a physical copy. Um, and I'm just like, oh, that's weird. That's in that person's home. What? Um, but when How that did you happen, get that? It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Oh, did I do that? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's You're so gonna be funny. Like going in armed with a pen and being like, "Please let me sign all the copies of this <laughs> book." <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I think I don't remember who this was, Michelle, but I think perhaps even more than one person we spoke to towards the end of last year for our last season of this podcast said about like their debut that it has almost felt like a warm up that like they're mm-hmm. working on their second book and hopefully things will be more normal and this is mm. kind of like a trial run. It's like online events and different things to kind of get you. And next time it will yeah. be different, although it might not be for Sister Surprise. Um, yeah, I'm holding it's... out for book three. I'm holding out yeah. for book three. <laughs> 2022, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm going to like, let's hope that I can come back to England by then and come to a live book launch. That'd be amazing. Oh, yeah, that would be so good. Fingers crossed. Oh God, I remember when I came over here and I was like, I'm going to go to so many book events and I've been to like one. I thought the um, same thing when I moved to Sydney. Didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> and you work at a publisher, so that's saying yeah, I know. something. Yeah, I went to like one on my like second week or something because it was actually at our office. And then, I don't know, I don't think I went to any others like towards the end of 2019. And then, yeah, 2020, they were all gone um do you have any plans for sister surprise when the um ebook is out at the end of march i haven't yet but 
I always I'll, I'll think of something probably the, the week before which is what I did for Fajita with the video that I made for my publication day it's based in Scotland so I was thinking of doing something involving whiskey but maybe that's just because hey we're at that point in the pandemic so mm-hmm. something involving whiskey is I mean probably relevant regardless <laughs> and, I think that's a good idea yeah, yeah so I, 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 I'm gonna some, something something like that something like outdoors perhaps um but I'll probably come up with a video of some kind and celebrate celebrate that way but yeah there's then and then obviously there's lots of things involving sort of lovely book bloggers and chatting to a lot of people I just want to talk to people that are not in my house so anything that involves speaking to people in podcasts or videos or Instagram lives I will say yes to them all because uh the human contact will be greatly appreciated (laughs) (laughs) delightful delightful well we're happy to help um maybe (laughs) you know we've already talked about two of your books but maybe to sort of finish up you said you're working on the third can you tell us anything about that it's in super early stages and Mm -hmm. so I've I've, I've planned it all out I took a much more uh comprehensive approach to planning this time around because uh, with Sister Surprise, I jumped into the writing of it very quickly, um, and my edits were a total nightmare. Um, <laughs> it took it took so much effort to 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 wrangle that narrative in, into place, and it worked like it paid off, but it was very stressful. Um, so with this one, I was like, no, I'm going to outline and plan. Really, sort of, it took me sort of two three months to sort of research and outline. So I'm now the grand sort of word count of 4,700 as of this morning so it's it's super early but this one is has a working title but I'm not I don't know am I can tell anyone on it yet so um no, that's keep that one interesting for now <laughs> but no this, it's it's a loose mm, I'll just say some words maybe um yes. island wedding accidental photographer and I'll leave it there Ooh. That all sounds amazing. I'm very intrigued wait. already. <laughs> um, so we'll just have to wait until 2022 to read that one. <laughs> wow, it feels so far away, but to be honest, I think we all can't blim and wait yeah. for 2022. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it feels so far away, but it's, I mean, it's next it is, year. but it isn't. It, I don't know. It is so strange. That sounds really, really good. And I am very excited to come to one of your writing workshops very soon soon, Um, yeah yeah I'm very excited for that I was very disappointed I just through my own disheveled life didn't get a ticket to your funny writing one so I definitely want to do that because you are a very 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 funny lady and we've really enjoyed having you on the podcast today thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me this has been a really nice way to to, to start my day so you've enthused me for for the rest of my writing day (laughs) breaks up the monotony of life in lockdown doesn't it yeah it definitely does now I'm just like oh my god human people on the screen <laughs> oh, oh, I see people oh gosh where can people find you online I am on Instagram a lot so my handle is at Abigail E Mann uh, and the same for Twitter I also have like a monthly newsletter that goes out which is abigaileman.com you can go in there and sign up to it uh, and I, I also, as you mentioned, sort of do writing workshops too. So that's been really, really nice. It's sort of pulling my sort of teaching life and my 
uh, writing life together. So we do those over Zoom. I do those every other month. Um, so yeah, can be found can be found on there as well. Excellent. Thank you Wonderful. so much. And yeah, we've definitely had fun chatting to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. 